Hi, my name is Em Gilpin. I am a user experience designer and right now I'm living in Amsterdam and working in the world of digital UX and UI. <laughs> well, we already met just like right before the podcast, but thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Yeah, so um, uh, I I did some uh, learning about you and I, I really like uh, everything that you do. And, and we met um, on on LinkedIn uh, through a, uh, a video that I made on, on YouTube. Uh, and it was kind of fun. Like, uh, it's interesting how, um, the, the little hobbies that I do outside of work just for fun end up with me, uh, meeting some cool people from all over the world. Um, so I'm glad that it worked out this way. Yeah. Um, (laughs) it's really nice to be here and to talk about design with someone else that I get to meet as well over the podcast. Yeah. So uh, in in terms of like your, your story and, and uh, how you came to where you are, um, you are living in Amsterdam now, but you mm-hmm. originally are from Cape Town, right? Yeah, I only moved here actually last year. So I've only really known Amsterdam in pandemic times, which is quite strange because now we're seeing it coming out of the pandemic. And it's kind of nice to see it going back to what I guess other people know Amsterdam as. That's kind of a weird experience to like come to a place and live there like like a yeah. just a normal resident but not know what it looks like in normal time. Yeah, I was thinking about it today how weird it is because I guess the norm for me is lockdown Amsterdam and that's all I've known. So for me this is weird but for everyone else it's normal. <laughs> so um I'm curious what was it like for you growing up in uh in Cape Town? Oh, growing up in Cape Town. Um, I was actually born in Johannesburg and I moved to Cape Town when I was about 11. Um, and Cape Town, I guess, to live in is a, is a lot freer than Joburg. I could actually walk to school and I really liked being by the sea and having, I was in town, so I was like under Table Mountain. And yeah, I just loved having more nature and being able to just explore and be a bit freer. Yeah. It's, it's like the most beautiful city in the world like honestly so it was beautiful to grow up there so uh what was is Johannesburg like a little bit more stretched out or like it's it's things aren't as close together that's why you couldn't walk to school um Johannesburg's a, a bit more dangerous I would say oh, okay um, it's quite a quite an intense city so yeah, you would just kind of drive everywhere and be driven everywhere by your parents. So for me to be able to, yeah, just like have a bit more freedom to like walk to school, for instance, was was a big thing that like really sticks out to me in my childhood. Is, is that part of the reason why your parents made the move to Cape Town from Johannesburg? Um, yeah, I guess partly it is. Um, my dad was living in Cape Town, so that was the main reason. My mom wanted mm-hmm. us to be close to him. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I miss it a lot. I'm actually going to go back there in December and I'm really excited. Really? (laughs) I I heard that it's it's really, really beautiful and I haven't done much travel, but I I don't know. I think it might be an interesting place to visit. Uh, You should definitely visit. I feel like Cape Town has become quite a tourist hub. It, It seems like when I used to travel when I was a teenager and I'd say I was from Cape Town, no one knew where it was but now as I travel I will mention the name and almost everyone I meet especially here has actually been there 
So I feel like it's becoming more of a popular destination. Yeah, so and it's so really you, beautiful. You you were there in like you moved there in middle school age, like ten. That's kind of like middle school. Is that is that yeah. the school system there? <laughs> I guess I I don't know how it works in America, but um, yeah, because for us you would just get the prep school and then high school, so we don't have a oh, okay. But I, yeah. I think it would fall in your middle school. Yeah, that makes sense. So. Um, what what kind of things were you interested in at around that time? It's interesting to see like people's hobbies and then how that ends up panning out yeah. later on and in, in the different things that they're interested in. Yeah, that's such a cool question. Um, because I feel like the things you're interested in, especially at that age, are things that you maybe come back to when you're older. Um, and especially when you're a teenager, maybe you kind of stray away from those interests, but it's definitely something I often think about how my interests now actually align more with who I was at that age Um, I don't know if you find that as well but that's a really cool question because I think at that age I was also very interested in design and yeah I'm trying to come back to like that kind of maybe more being creative in design and not thinking of it so much as a career I I do a little bit of snooping before the podcast to kind of learn a little (laughs) bit more about people and I remember seeing that you had a story about uh, a PlayStation uh remote (laughs) (laughs) and that was kind of about that age I think that was when I was a bit younger oh god I never know what to write on those about you sections I always feel like I come across as so I don't know it's just really hard to write about yourself as like a product almost yeah um, so I think for me on my website I just didn't know what to write and that was a particular story of how I when I was younger I was fixing a PlayStation controller and for me it was the moment that I knew I kind of wanted to get into design of it was it was quite like a moment that I often think back to so I ended up putting that as my story there but yeah, I get a bit embarrassed because I never know what to put in those kinds of things. And like when it's brought up again, I feel like it sounds quite pretentious, actually. No, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like uh, I, I have stories about the, the reason I got into design and but they were kind of weird. It was like, well, I got classes one day and I realized that there were logos on the other side of the parking mm-hmm. lot because I could actually see them and I noticed that there were uh bricks that made up the building it wasn't just a red wall <laughs> you couldn't see before that uh I had really bad vision but when when that's all you know you don't think that it's bad vision and yeah, then you get glasses true. you're like oh my god everything is like in ultra hd <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah the I, the story from what I read is that um your your controller broke and you tried to fix it yourself and then you realized there were all these things that made up the controller I thought that was an interesting story because I don't I feel like I wouldn't have taken it apart at that age I just would have like turned to my dad say hey I don't know what to do with this yeah I think yeah exactly I think it was a moment for me where I was at home alone and previously I guess my parents would fix things like that for me And I think I'd reached an age where I was at home, maybe my mom was out that day and I was like, I'm not going to wait for them to get home. I really want to play this game. So let me see if I can do it myself and like be independent about it. 
And then I took it apart and it just felt so natural to like figure out for myself, like how to solve this problem. And then to put it back together again, felt super empowering. And I was like, wow, like someone actually designed this and put these pieces together. And it enables me to do all these things that I love doing. And I just felt this like real need to maybe one day do that as well. It was like the first moment that I realized that. I want to be able to create things that can help other people experience these like incredible things for themselves. And like you are the person then who designs it. It's like quite a powerful thing. Yeah. Interesting. That's such like Um, a a crazy realization to have at like eight, 10 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I guess maybe your adult brain also like embellishes a little bit. Um, The more like every time you remember it, you think of it in like a, more powerful sense also sometimes when you look back you uh uh like sometimes weird realizations that kids have like I remember being um like 15 and thinking that I had my whole life figured out and I knew exactly Mm -hmm. what my career was gonna be like and everything (laughs) like that I remember I went up to my my guidance counselor and I had this like whole drawing of like what my life was going to be like and how how I I, like I knew everything and he just laughed at me and I thought he was like the dumbest guy ever because obviously I knew everything that was going to happen (laughs) (laughs) I was just 15 um but uh but yes that's that's interesting that there was at that point and then between um uh that point and kind of like throughout your your high school experience or your upper school experience um Mm -hmm were there things that you kind of like experimented with tried out in in I don't know like were there classes that you took because I I saw there were some uh certificate classes that you took in other countries which was really interesting oh yeah um yeah like I said I think ever since I was younger for some reason I had a very strong pull towards design I think I've been really lucky actually like really fortunate in that I've always very strongly known what I wanted to do I've never faltered or like yeah like had that do I do this or do I do that kind of moment um and when I was in high school design was one of my subjects that I was able to take at school oh really so I actually did yeah it was really nice um I was really lucky we actually did like design history and theory from when I was in like grade eight um you're like 13 14 I think I don't know if that's still middle school for you guys yeah we have like, uh six through eight is middle okay, school. okay yeah so it'd be like end of middle school um and then I did art as well so I did art and design throughout my whole high school career um and then when I was in matric, which is, yeah, the end year, I became obsessed with like London and British culture. I don't know if you ever watched that show, The Mighty Boosh. No, I have. What is it about? Um, it's just the most ridiculous show. Uh, yeah, I can't even describe it. It's just like this crazy show. And in it, he says that he studies at this place called Central St. Martins in London. And I suddenly became obsessed with studying there myself. So in my gap year, I actually went to go do a few courses there. I think I did like history of London, packaging design, and something called cool hunting. Which I, I saw that. I have no really idea what fun. that meant. It's actually because I was really fascinated by trend prediction. And I actually, in my 
last year thought I was going to be a trend predictor um because that is an actual career that you can do that's so interesting I wanted to go study it for a little while so I went to London in my gap year and I did that um and it was so much fun like the short courses you can do there is actually such a great thing to do I think they still run them they're like their summer courses yeah so um you said you kind of like always knew what you were going to do um like sometimes you you like a subject before you like even know like what the name of it is so Mm -hmm. you know the time period in your life where you like learned what product design was or learned what industrial design was because I didn't really know those names until I think I was 17 I just knew it was like I kind of understood the meaning (laughs) (laughs) um but I guess UX for us is is also such a new thing like uh, that's only a real like career term that I heard a lot later on I'm not sure when you heard that for the first time yeah I um I think I learned what UX was like the the word in college yeah me too only in only in college as well I think it's just also such a new thing so it's quite cool because then all the UX designers you meet will come from like all these varied different backgrounds. It's not like you ever meet one who knew that they did UX from the beginning and studied it and then became a UX designer. And I think that's pretty cool about this particular profession. It is kind of strange that there are so few schools that have like a UX program. It's always like it in combination with a bunch of other things that have a lot more years to them. And then yeah. when, when you meet people, they all have like all these different degrees, like some are psychology, some are business, some are all these other things. And so it's interesting to see how that pans out for, for them. And, and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Um, when I was in the, my end of high school, I, we have quite a famous art school, art college in Cape Town called Michaelis. Um, and my parents are both in the film industry. So they're both very creative people and they were pushing me to study art at this college and I I guess one of the very few people in the world trying to push against your parents not to study art (laughs) I really didn't want to study there because I just felt like art for me at that point wasn't really like I I knew design was what I wanted to do but I didn't want to be a graphic designer and I didn't want Mm -hmm. to study art and I had this um this design teacher at school who had a really cool husband who would often be our substitute teacher. And he came in one day and he said to me, why don't you think of studying industrial design? There's like this really amazing course at this one college in Cape town. And you should think about this. I think you'd be really good for it. Like this would be really good for you. And he was actually the person who told me about that term. It was the first time I heard it. Um, And I Googled it and it sounded amazing. I went to visit the campus and yeah, and I kind of owe him for that because it changed my life. And like, I'm so glad I studied it. It was exactly what I wanted to study. What was it like having two parents that are in film? <laughs> That's such an interesting dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, it's such a big part of my life because I am quite close to my parents. So growing up in the film industry for me was really like it really shaped who I am today because yeah I guess it it can't not it's such a my life was very different to my friends lives and the way that their like family home life was structured um and it was really cool I yeah my parents are still 
pretty active in the Cape Town film industry and it's always been interesting they're always doing cool projects and it's never the same thing so that's also really nice um and my mom's actually a costume designer so growing up we always got to play with these really amazing costumes and I always got access to like incredible clothes which was a big bonus when it comes to that I I saw that you worked for a costume designer at one point yeah that's an interesting (laughs) oh that is your mom I checked out her her website I thought it was really impressive (laughs) (laughs) that's so cool I I wasn't sure uh I I wasn't sure who she was but I I looked all through her pictures and and everything the photography is beautiful the costumes are like so cool and the colors were really cool so I don't know Mm -hmm. you can tell her that I I said I thought it was really neat (laughs) (laughs) well um she's really good at her job I yeah she's a costume designer in Cape Town but she works a lot on what you would call service jobs so she used to do a lot of movies but now she focuses more on like large-scale advertising and when I was assisting her we would do these really big costume builds for clients like PlayStation and BMW and Samsung and I think my favorite ad because I am such as you know a big PlayStation fan was (laughs) we had to conceptualize and design and then manufacture all the costumes for the big games that came out that year, like Call of Duty was one of them. And we had to recreate all the characters in real life and make them look exactly like the video games and then recreate the game on this highway where there were like explosions and stunts going on. And it was just so much fun. Like that's why I ended up working with her for two years because it was just so much fun to do um what do you think about um working with clothing designing it making it um putting it together seeing it in action um did that ever um give you input on other types of design um like yeah definitely I guess it also instills in you a type of culture from when you're very young of being able to work with your hands and make things um and my mom's always been very much yeah she's always made all her own things and I think that from when I was very young I also then ended up making a lot of my own things and for those kinds of jobs especially it's very similar to industrial design because you're doing a lot of props a lot of things that aren't just the clothing um that you have to make as well so I think that's why I liked it so much because it is so similar to what I studied. That's interesting. Like, so, um, and just to get the timeline right, um, were you involved with, with what she did like during your childhood and and high school time, or was this like past high school? Um, I've always, I guess, been my mom's assistant and that she always ropes me into whatever project she has. (laughs) makes me yeah like lets me do a lot of work for her but I I worked when I when I finished high school I went to go study and then when I finished studying I actually got a job at a toy design company and then I worked there for about a year and a half to two years and then that kind of overlapped with the two years that I worked for my mom 
yeah. yeah. She was just getting a lot of cool projects at that time. And it kind of naturally happened that I was helping her out more. And I just really enjoyed it. So I ended up doing that. Yeah. And and so with with the time period between um your your teacher's husband telling you about the school, you <laughs> toured it, and then you applied. Um kind of like do you kind of know what you were expecting when um you were applying to that school because sometimes it's interesting to see like what you were expecting versus like what you feel about the school once you graduate so did you have like expectations uh yeah that's such a hard thing to deal with I feel like especially yeah the expectation versus reality um I don't know I think going in with these kinds of things in my life I've always gone more on a feeling Mm. because when I I am such an idealistic person I think you as well like as designers you tend to be really idealistic and you think of a world like the way it could be so my expectations for things are always very high and going into these kinds of big life events I try not to put the expectation on it and go more on like a feeling of like does this feel right um And I think that's what I went in with my industrial design feeling so that when I finished, I didn't actually have that feeling of like disappointment or expectations met. I don't know if that makes sense, Um, but I'm really glad I studied it. It was, it ended up being exactly what I would have wanted in every single way. So really? Yeah. Yeah. Was it in a part of Cape Town that you were familiar with or was it kind of like a new, a, a new part to you? No, it was pretty much in the center of town and I'd lived there since I was 11. So it was, yeah, it, it was like really close to my house. So I actually didn't move out of home for when I studied, I stayed at home because it was so close. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially if it's like a couple blocks away. (laughs) Like I could, I used to, it was like just far enough that I could walk, but it was like up a hill. So it was kind of uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) It it was worth the money that you saved. (laughs) (laughs) So um, uh, something that kind of sticks out a lot in my mind of getting to school um, Mm -hmm. is I remember like very vividly, like the first month of school, um, all of these things were new to me, like uh, certain topics were brought up that I never heard of before. You like look at the curriculum for the rest of college and you see all these classes that some of them, you don't even know what they mean. Like, yeah. do you remember what your first month of school was in college? Um, oh my God. It felt like military boot camp, like literally. <laughs> <laughs> um they we had a really high dropout rate and going in as well I was this sounds like a very small class but for the college I was in it was a very big class of 60 people okay Um, and that was going into first year and they were out of 60 people there were only 10 girls so I was one of 10 girls because it's a very like male dominated field and like most of our lecturers were men as well so that in itself was like a little bit intimidating as well. Um, and going in, we had these lecturers who I remember them being very cryptic. We had to go in for a lot of interviews and a lot of like, um, they gave us all these weird tasks to do. And they would give us questions like, I remember them asking me, 
why does a wine glass have a stem and why does a pencil have five sides? And that was like what would get me into the universe, get me into the first year or not. <laughs> what? And looking you back say? now, I don't even remember. I remember going in and they also are one of the things, the assignments that was like the deciding factor on whether or not you could enter first year was you had to take an A4 piece of paper and design a chair that could be flat packed and then reassembled out of the A4 piece of paper, like a, ch- a model of a chair. So it, it was a like lot a of like, <laughs> yeah, it almost felt like a weird kind of like the tests you see in a movie or like a sci-fi movie when someone has to like enter like a Harry Potter type of, yeah, that's what it felt like. You were living like an escape room in school. (laughs) (laughs) So, so like that's, so how much time did you have to like think of an answer for the, the pen and the stem? Um, I was sitting in a room with four other lecturers and they were kind of watching me almost. It felt like a job interview, but instead of questions about myself, they were asking me all these cryptic design questions so I was probably given very intimidating I think I was so nervous that I probably couldn't think of an answer to those questions oh my gosh and 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 the chair um the chair we got given a month so that was actually quite fun like we we got time for that yeah and then going in we had a lot of different classes what was quite cool was we had a workshop with like a full woodworking workshop with um, a welding section and yeah, like all the machinery that you could ever want for mold making, welding, woodworking, carpentry, just uh, spraying, like uh, spray painting. Um, what else was there? Uh, we had a lathe as well. So you could turn metal and wood on the lathe and a pottery section. So we had access to all these really cool things and I think that was my favorite part about being there was just working with my hands and learning how to design, but then also make it yourself. Because in first year, they they made us basically make everything ourselves so that we could learn how things were manufactured. Um, and it was a lot of blisters and a lot of injuries, but it was really fun. What were your injuries like? <laughs> well, my... <laughs> Most major injury was I sanded off the tip of my finger on a band sander. <laughs> oh my God. It, it, it grew back, but I guess I proved to myself that you can't actually sand off your fingerprints because it, it does grow back. Oh my God. <laughs> Did you finish the project? Um. Yeah, I think I did. I remember getting my finger bandaged. Um, and yeah, I finished I finished the project. That wasn't by any means the most horrendous um injury. There were my classmates were like worse off. Oh my god. I, I remember um so before, when I went to college right before I went to college, I went to like this um like week long boot camp thing um mm-hmm. and it was kind of like a like a high school program and i lived with my aunt who lives in philadelphia and um 
uh, <laughs> I remember I think it was like the second day and it was the first time I met my professor who was going to be like my professor in college because I would later get into the school. Um, and I like cut my finger with an exacto knife and I was the only kid oh. that messed up to cut my finger with the exacto knife. And he was like so nervous about it because he was giving like all of these teenagers exacto knives and never had any of them before. Oh my god. I just remember feeling so embarrassed and later on I was fine, but uh uh I, re- I remember like oh this is my first impression and I just screwed up. Okay. Oh <laughs> <laughs> shame. I'm sure he probably felt worse about being the one who gave you the knife. Yeah. <laughs> we were doing all I don't, I don't even we were like like cutting paper and all this kind of stuff but um but yeah I uh it, at the school that I went to we also had not my major but there was a, a product design major and they had this like this giant um like garage with um bandsaws and all of these different things and I would always see like everybody in there with their glasses on and mm-hmm. I would have to walk past them every time and my um uh my freshman year roommate was a product design major industrial design Mm -hmm. and so the things that she would bring home and the things that (laughs) she'd be working on it was so funny because like at the time I I did uh sports and so uh I would have to go to bed super early because I'd be waking up at like like five in the morning and she would be working super late so like in my head I just remember uh me in bed with a face mask on like an eye mask and her with the light on on the other side of the room working until like 2 a.m on a product design project yeah it sounds about right (laughs) (laughs) so you know then but what did you what did you study I studied graphic design okay cool so we were like like siblings in the uh uh design college (laughs) yeah we also had a graphic design department right by us as well Um, it was pretty fun yeah it always it always looked like fun did you ever get to do projects also where you had to like cut up um images and photos and like work with your hands a little bit yeah so we did a lot of like um packaging uh and we did um like they would give us there was one class where I would just constantly be getting pieces of paper and being told to make boxes and like boxes within the boxes and (laughs) and I remember I would sit in my my kitchen um in my senior year and just with like my um uh I forget what the name of it is but like the exacto um mat the green mat and then Yes. And yeah. I would be trying to make boxes and it would be me working on one and then just a pile of failed ones to my right. <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out how to get the lip to be able to like fit in the box and everything like that. But um Oh yeah, that was harder than it looks to make those. We also had I, to make boxes. I saw that that picture of of you um I think it was it was a photo uh, above you and you were working on Exactomat um uh uh just I think cutting up some paper and I'm like oh I relate to this so much (laughs) (laughs) and so um so you were there and and um do you remember um your life freshman year and then your life senior year and do you think there was a big change or there was a lot that you learned between those two periods yeah oh my gosh like so so much I think first year 
especially in industrial design, was focused more on the handwork. So we weren't so much focused on theory. We were just churning out like metalwork projects, woodwork projects, paper. We were doing life drawings. We were doing engineering drawings. They were basically not allowing us. They said, you can't touch a computer. Like you can type up your essays and stuff, but no computer work for first year. So it was very intense and obviously takes a lot longer to do the handwork. Um, And then obviously my final year, anything that we had to make then could be outsourced to manufacturer and any kind of drawings we were allowed to do on the computer. um, And it just obviously then became a lot more technical, a lot more conceptual, and we were learning a lot more theory. Mm. Um, And my final year was really cool in that we had a really incredible lecturer and mentor who he developed a project called the 5k project where we had to, where we were split into groups in our final year, we had to conceptualize and design a product. It could be anything. And then we had to manufacture this project product, write a research report on it, sell it by the end of the year and make 5,000 Rand profit in order to pass the year. (laughs) Jesus Christ. That's so a little intense. To, it was super intense. We had to be doing like proper market research and user experience research and then make this product actually like physically in order to sell it and make actual money off of it, which was really intense. And then was that was this... on top of us each having to write our own personal design thesis as well. So it was quite intense. Was this <laughs> like, um, was it net? 5,000 or 5,000 just uh, gross? Like, uh, uh, did Um, they, what you put into making it? I think that was just the profit over and above once you've covered your costs. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it wasn't just the money that you were making. Yeah. So what did you make? Um, We, oh my God, we decided not to give ourselves an easy time and do possibly the hardest thing, which we, we decided to design a sustainable packaging alternative to the coffee cup. Um, I've heard of this story, not, not the story. I just, I just saw the sustainable coffee cup in a, it was, what was it like a cycle or, or something like that? Yeah. For the circular economy. Yeah. Um, And then as part of this, we also had to um, start our own company that we would design the product within and we had to register the company. So it was like a proper registered entity. Um, And then we ended up designing this coffee cup, which we sold to this investor. So we found a loophole. We realized we weren't going to actually have the actual product to sell. So we ended up selling the idea to an investor who was going to help us manufacture it. And we then got through with like the money we got from him covered our 5k profits. Wow. Um, And then we spent actually the next year after college trying to get fun, get more funding for this product to get it manufactured and try and sell it to people, but it didn't really work out, but Mm. we did end up, um, becoming a finalist in the IDEO Circular Economy Challenge, which was quite cool. So describe the, the coffee cup. What what was <laughs> the different design? Um, so we kind of went into it 
I don't I don't actually remember why we chose the coffee cup, but at some point we realized that the coffee industry is actually the takeaway coffee industry is actually one of the most wasteful consumer industries in the world because the amount of like gen- like coffee waste and then packaging waste that is generated every year is like immense. And the lids that you get on the coffee cups they're made they're mostly made out of plastic and that's incredibly incredibly damaging because it is like a single use item in in every sense like no one reuses that and hardly anyone remembers to bring their cups to coffee shops especially at this point a few years ago um and we worked out the figures and we were like wow this is such a wasteful thing it would be really cool to see if we can design an alternative to it So we first looked at um, trying to eliminate the lid because the lid is the biggest piece of plastic on the item and it isn't actually that necessary. Um, And I studied, I self-studied like origami and paper folding for a lot of my teenage years. So yeah, I was like absolutely fascinated by it. So we ended up designing a packaging kind of based on the manufacturing method for Chinese takeout where it's called I actually can't remember what the method is called but it, it was a way of manufacturing these cartons really easily and very simply so that they could flat pack but then also be able to hold liquid without the liquid leaking out because that was quite a big quite a big issue as well for us like when we were wow. designing so we designed it based on that manufacturing method but then we eliminated the lid by having these two flaps that would fold inwards and then you could pop out like a drinking lip on the side so that it was all one material which means it's a lot more if you were to recycle the material a lot more recyclable and you're also eliminating a huge amount of plastic waste um, and you're making it flat packable so it's a lot more cost effective to be shipped to the coffee companies and for storage as well. Yeah. That makes sense. And this is all one piece. It's not like the person has to spend time finding the lid and finding the cup. Yeah, exactly. So we were trying to eliminate quite a lot of issues with one product, trying to be really ambitious. Um, and I was pretty proud of what we designed. I think it worked really well. Um, yeah, we just, it didn't really go anywhere at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. So how did you how did you connect with the investor? um so within our group um it was quite sweet we had to decide every group got three people and the one person had to be uh in charge of concepts the other person had to be in charge of business and the other person Mm. in charge of people so like setting up meetings and liaising with people and every group had to have one person who was good at one of those things okay um and I was put in charge of concepts so I was the conceptual lead and I was kind of organizing a lot of tasks that we had to do and my friend Ash in the group she was in charge of people so she she's a very good people person and she was setting up meetings with a lot of people and she's just one of those types who just connects very easily so she ended up finding us an investor I'm not sure how but yeah <laughs> That's do you remember like the moment when you realized he wanted to invest and it was actually happening? Um, I just remember it being super stressful because I honestly didn't think we were going to make the 5k at the end. And mm. 
I was so stressed about everything else. I just remembered being like, oh, this is such a relief. And then not really thinking about it again. Yeah. So um, what was the whole IDEO process like? Like, when did you get the idea to to do that and, and pursue it? Um, that was really cool because we'd actually given up on the idea and we were all graduating. We were like, yeah, we're done with this. Never have to see it ever again, which was really nice. Um, and then... We had this woman contact us. I think she worked at IDEO and mm-hmm. she said, I saw your design on one of your portfolios where we have this upcoming, um, we have this upcoming challenge. I think you should enter it in. I think it would be really great. Um, so then we started going through the process of entering this challenge um, and we got all the way till the end. We were super excited, but then we we didn't win it. We only ended up being one of the top finalists, so we didn't get the um, the seed money. Yeah, what was that whole like uh, process like? Um, like going through all the steps, like actually meeting people and presenting. Did you have to do any travel for it? Um, not really. It was mostly just. Oh, Idea actually did end up giving us a mentor which Mm. we would meet with over video chat and we didn't end up traveling for it but we yeah we would have meetings with quite a lot of people who were then helping us through the process yeah yeah Um, and it was really cool because at that point I think everyone's really scared of presenting and like us speaking publicly but in our final year at university our lecturer made us do it so often he was like the only way to overcome it is to literally like he would make us present on random things like twice a week to the class and then to other people and to just like get our minds out of it out of being scared of it um so I think that helped actually quite a lot Yeah. yeah so you said that that it didn't end up panning out for for this project um yeah what what was the the end of that story I guess that is kind of the end of that story um we really wanted to try and push it further but then all three of us ended up getting our own jobs and Mm -hmm. we were kind of sick of it at that point but I'm kind of yeah the product was really good so I often think about it still and so what was the the next part of the story for you um where did you where did you go from here um I guess at that point I thought I was going to do my master's um Mm. I actually started doing my master's so I was working on that very intensely um and then I ended up going on a master's trip with my two supervisors we I wrote a paper for a conference in Oslo in Norway Mm -hmm. Um, because at the time I was studying um, ludic design in industrial design so it's like designing uh, playful objects oh okay Um, yeah and I wrote a paper for a conference in Oslo so we ended up going to travel there and then we got funding just to go traveling pretty much for my master's I went with my two supervisors we went there and then we also went to go live and work for a week in an eco village in Scotland um and then we took a road trip down through the whole of the UK and we went to all the universities and we got to see all of these environmentally sustainable like um communities and initiatives and then I came back and um I ended up getting a job at a toy design company which I really wanted to work for so then 
I put my masters on hold because I kind of yeah at that point I was a bit sick of writing and I really wanted to work at this company <laughs> so how, how did that that job happen for you did somebody recommend it did you just see the job and apply for it yeah I think um at that point the people who were working at the company had also studied industrial design at the same at the same um university and they asked my supervisor my master supervisor who was their lecturer if they could re- if he could recommend someone and he recommended me so oh, wow yeah i got Wait, it through him was this the professor that left a comment on your linkedin that's saying if he was yeah. hiring he would hire you yeah that is what, what, what did he teach you? Uh, did he teach specific classes that he got connected with you? Um, um, he was pretty much our main lecturer for our final year. And I think the two of us just had very similar interests and just really connected on that level. Um, and I really, yeah, and then he became a bit of a mentor for me where we would often just sit and have like chats about all these things that we were both so interested about and yeah, and he's still a mentor to me. Like we're still quite close. And when I'm back in Cape Town, I'm gonna go see him again. And Aww. yeah, I think we're both just we both just connected on a lot of mutual um interests at that point. Yeah. And so this uh this toy design um job, was that your first design job outside of school? Yeah. What um, was that like? <laughs> it was really cool. I I really enjoyed working there. Um we were working for a, at the time that I started at the company, they had just designed a product called Namuno Loops, um, which is like, it's basically stickable Lego that you can stick on any surface. And they had an Indiegogo project. Um, they had an Indiegogo uh, campaign, which had at that point just been named the most funded campaign in history of Indiegogo. So they wow. made like millions and millions of dollars off of this product and it had, it was so famous like we at our university were talking about them as like the unicorns who kind of made it who like the people from our university had kind of like really done something big yeah. and they were getting a lot of publicity and at that point they were hiring a junior designer so I obviously really wanted to work there because I thought the product was so cool and it was so inventive and their studio was also quite close to me in Cape Town so I was really excited was um, this um thunk design oh no that's oh that's, that, was, that later. was the that was the cu- company we did the cup under oh um, okay and then chrome yeah. cherry is chrome, the one that you're talking is, yeah, about chrome okay. cherry design studios yeah got it um, and we were working on a few different products then that were kind of going to be their follow-up products. Mm. Um, I don't think any of them did as well as Numino Loops did at that point, but I think that's quite hard then if you have such a successful product to try and follow it up with. Yeah. It's kind of like having a viral YouTube video and then trying to recreate the same <laughs> magic. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, exactly. It's, tell me about this, this product that, um, made you so interested and everybody so interested in the the toy company and uh, the loops yeah um they very cleverly i'm not sure what the timeline was exactly but i know at some point that lego's patent had run out 
Oh, so okay. it was like a window where you could design a similar product and it wasn't like protected as as harshly. Mm. I'm actually not so sure about about that in particular, but they they the thinking behind the product was that Lego is such an incredible product and it allows you to build all these cool worlds and these crazy things, but it's so confined to the flat surface that we build it on. Mm, Um, so they wanted to extend that into every surface and like any surface so basically just building on the creativity that lego allows you into being any world that you want really so um yeah they cast it out of silicon and there was an adhesive at the back that and it was rolled up like a roll of tape so you could cut it into any length that you wanted and then you could put it on anything like i had it on my cell phone and on my computer and then you could stick your lego like straight onto it so you could build like houses on your ceiling or like kids could build on their parents like table legs or yeah on the back of your tv so it was quite cool so i'm imagining like um so you have like the lego um mat where it's just mm-hmm. the little bumps and so what what this does is uh, it's like an adhesive for Lego that allows you like put it, I'm like imagining it <laughs> underneath my uh, my table right now. Mm-hmm. A- am I thinking of that right? I want to send you a picture and then I think you'll immediately perfect um, be able to imagine it because it's quite hard to describe. Click to- Does that give you a better? Oh wow! Okay, so I'll describe what I'm looking at. So it's kind of like Lego as if it was like the actual um the things with all the bumps was like silicone and so you could bend it and everything like that that's so interesting yeah um and they yeah they were really really um it was really big when it came out they yeah as I said were the most funded Indiegogo at that time which is really huge if you think about all the other products that were coming out wow so yeah. so you were working there and 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 how long were you there? Um I was there only for 2 years. Okay. Um, after the 2 years cuz I was working with these two other designers as my colleagues quite um we were really close and the three of us felt like a little design team of our own and we were working for uh, another boss but we would rarely see him it was more us at the office. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I think their time at the company had come to an end after the two years that I was working there. And I kind of felt that I didn't want to carry on unless they were there as well. I didn't really want to take on their roles. And I felt like maybe I should move on to something else. Mm. Yeah. What uh, it's interesting, like my my first uh, real design experience was yeah. um, in a six month internship because my school is super into uh, internships. Um, And so they would like make it part of your school and then you would like not work for a period of time so that you would go do this internship. Um, Do you remember uh, how actually doing design outside of an academic sense changed your perspective on it? Um, That's pretty cool. Um, I think in our final year, actually at university so many of our projects were so focused I think like yours like doing an internship within university where they try and like bridge that gap of you're technically doing work for outside but you're still in university 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's so important because then when you do get your first design job, it doesn't feel like you're jumping into this deep water. Mm-hmm. And it does feel a lot more, yeah, like a lot more doable. Because if it wasn't for my final year, I think it would have felt a lot more intimidating. But it actually was fine. And it was really exciting to be doing um, work on products that was actually going to be made in the real world. Yeah, so interesting. And so you were working mostly on this large project in addition to, I think there were, you said there were two projects, two main projects you were working on? At the company? Yeah. Yeah, I think we spent the one year doing the one product and then the next year doing the other product. Um, yeah, pretty much. We would do like the whole end-to-end process from the design to the research to the testing to the marketing. Um, we would make the marketing content and then at that point they were also funding them through Indiegogo as well. Wow. Yeah. So so we, I'm guessing you're like, 25 24 at this time when you're <laughs> transitioning or, or no tw- uh 26 or something like that yeah I think so around around about there yeah and so you're you're looking for your your next place do you um was there's kind of like a thing of what you wanted or um where you wanted to to work um after that um yeah I think, um, yeah, I mean, after that job, especially in Cape Town, I actually think I got to a point where I really didn't know what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go because there weren't any other companies at that point that were doing things that I actually wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, my mom was doing so many cool projects that I think I just then fell naturally into helping her out and that becoming my job then for the next while because it was so yeah I was earning like good money as well and it was really really fun and I got to hang out with my mom so I just kind of put off thinking about what I really wanted to do in my design career and I just yeah I just did that for a while that kind of sounds like a a really I don't know if this is the way that I want to say it but it sounds like a really interesting paid sabbatical of like <laughs> trying this other thing that is kind of like a deviation from what you were normally doing and yeah. uh having this totally different experience yeah um it was really fun and I think my industrial design knowledge also helped because we would so often have to uh construct and like manufacture these big things that then I had contacts for her and I had the software in order to build for her so we formed quite a good team and yeah, I could use those skills then to make her life easier. And um, so uh, when, I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> I just no, want I didn't have, to I didn't have another thought. <laughs> and so um, uh, uh, once, what, what time um, were you thinking, okay, I think this chapter of uh, working with my mom is over. I think I want to go to the next thing. Kind of like what, <laughs> what, uh, did did you're like oh I want to go back to where I've been like I feel like uh um I'm ready now um it pretty much happened in a day um my partner and I were in Amsterdam visiting some family um at one point and he went to go have a kind of a surprise work meeting He, he happened to be here at the same time that I think his 
boss at the time was visiting Amsterdam and he went in for a meeting and he came back and he was like they want me to move to Amsterdam um how do you feel about that and I was kind of like yeah that that sounds great like let's do it so it was kind of that exact moment where he was like let's do this thing and I was like yeah let's do it and then we just moved um and then that was the end of me working with my mom at that point how uh how did she take it not very well (laughs) um she ends up finding yeah it's always hard and it was the first time I was moving away from my family as well so I think it was extra hard yeah do you have any siblings yeah I have a sister who works and she lives and works in London oh cool yeah that's neat Um, yeah um so I think it was hard on my mom as she also moved away at kind of the same time so it was hard yeah that's really rough do they do they visit you in Amsterdam yet or I don't know if they can with COVID right now yeah not yet but I'm gonna go back in December um Aww. to visit them in Cape Town and my that's sister's exciting. Come, so, yeah that's yeah. fun <laughs> I I saw in this in this timeline um I I I'm looking right now at a uh a backpack for a cat or a cat backpack oh wow yeah um I guess is that on my LinkedIn I I looked up uh the um I was able to sometimes you things are cropped on LinkedIn and so you can actually like drag and drop things and then see the whole thing it's so interesting the way that you you put it all together I don't know I just do you want to tell me a little bit about that and where that fits in in this timeline Oh yeah, I guess my timeline isn't very linear. There's a lot of things that overlap because I do like to do a lot of things at one time. I don't know, I, I guess I make my life harder that way as well. <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed always doing things like doing computer work, but then at the same time having something else on the go. So I'm never just doing one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a really big cat fan. I've had a cat <laughs> my whole life, um, but like very obsessed with cats. And when I was living in Cape Town, we got two cats at that point who really liked just being around us. Like every time I'd come home, they were really like, they really just wanted to be with us all the time. So then I thought, let me just try, maybe put a harness on them the one day, take them out and about, like up the mountain. And they really seemed to enjoy it. Like they would get so excited to like go out and just like have a walk around. And I was like, this is so cool because I've always wanted a cat who can come with me. So I just started taking them out more and more. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I realized that there were no like, yeah, every time we'd see a dog or something, I couldn't like put them in a bag. And I started seeing these people on Instagram who had these cat bags um, for their cats. And I, at that point, was like, I really need one of these. So I ended up ordering myself one from Alibaba. Mm, okay. Um, and I, yeah, it was just so cool to have. And then every time I went out, people would always ask me, like, where did you get that? It's so cool. Um, and in South Africa, like, we don't actually have access to all these different products. And especially, yeah, especially cool things to take for granted it being in Europe or America and mm-hmm. everyone was like this is incredible I've never seen this before so I was like why don't I order a bunch and sell them um so I actually ended up starting this little company that just sold the cat backpacks um mm-hmm. 
which turned into more of like a little community as well where people would buy them and then they would post photos and they would share their experiences with their cats online and I would write articles about walking my cats and then people would like want to know about places in Cape Town to go so it was it was quite fun like then also bonding with other people who were cat obsessed and allowing them to take their cats out as well yeah is that kind of the meaning behind cats in disguise or am I I don't know where that comes from um I guess yeah I've always felt like I might be a cat so maybe that's what it is (laughs) I was thinking of like, oh, these these cats are like going everywhere and they're they're in uh in this little carrier that's kind of like cats in disguise. That's what my <laughs> assumption was. But um but yeah, so so it, it, what I'm what I'm looking at is like it's uh it, is it a backpack or is it like a, a holder or something like that? Yeah, it's a backpack. It's a backpack. Um, they're pretty popular with um any kind of I guess there's the most famous one, Suki cat, which is that Bengal cats that I see a lot on Instagram and she also has a very similar backpack where you allowed it allows you to carry your cat on hikes with you. Oh wow. Yeah. That's so um, cool. So so what was it like having all of these people interact with you and and like kind of changing how they interact with their cat? Like was this a, a yeah. medium large scale of people? Um it did become at one point what I would consider yeah like medium large scale but I guess it wasn't like very large scale because the cat walking community in Cape Town I mean that's very niche (laughs) that's interesting I guess I also liked it was a business but I also really liked connecting with people that way um I guess it's like you and your podcast it's a way for you to connect with people that maybe share the same interests as you and also to help them yeah just like as as a user experience designer I guess we're very interested in like people's experiences and what makes them happy and like designing experiences so I think I really enjoyed that like that element of people sharing with me what happened with their cats um yeah and like how it made them feel it made me feel really good what you just said like reminded me of this book that I read um so the, the the way that I realized what user experience was really like I heard the term I I'd taken web classes all of these things but like it didn't really click until I read this book called The Experience Economy. Have you ever heard of that book? I think I've heard of it. I haven't read it. It was really interesting um and and like the way that you talk about it I feel like there's kind of like a shift in what people more and more are interested in. Um, I feel like maybe previously people were really interested in like material things or like yeah. things that they can hold, they can keep in their house. People kind of had more interest in larger houses and having all of these things. And I feel yeah. like now, even just with me, I like having less things. I like having less things to manage. I like living in a small, yeah. smaller space and and doing things that I remember and things that I enjoy and that are an experience is what I'm more interested in. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I think, um, I don't know if that's becoming more of a thing. Does that book say that it's it's now becoming more popular to want experiences over things? The the big thing that they said is um, uh, like the worry 
when it comes to any any business is like that you'll become a commodity like like oil or something like that like gas like you don't really care where you get it from as long as like it's the cheapest price and he Mm. said that the way to stay relevant and the way to keep your business going is to make it an experience interact with your product or come to your business or something like that because that's much harder to replicate yeah I think that's really true um and that's also why I quite like calling myself a user experience designer because I think it gives you that greater perspective whereas I feel like even though UX stands for user experience it often only refers to the digital part of it um, and not like the emotional part of it as well and like where it stands in like your greater um like internet of things almost Mm -hmm. and yeah I like thinking of it as as like the greater experience like what is surrounding the app you're designing and like how are you influencing people's emotions like in their daily life I think that interests me more than designing products as well I I recently had an experience of uh, interacting with something that I I felt like it was more of an experience than the actual product itself so um there's there's this company that like uh aligns your teeth it's called candid clear aligners <laughs> not i don't know it's just like something i didn't found on online and um i wanted to um my teeth kind of shifted and i they they said that they would send everything to you you could like take pictures of your teeth do all of like the impressions and everything and send it back and mm-hmm. opening their box like it was a physical thing it wasn't like a digital experience but it, it was such an experience like it was like this giant box that showed up. Everything was, the graphic design was really, really cool. And the thing that I remember the most was um, the, the little lip. So it was, um, uh, it was the, the bottom. It had a, a, an edge, like a book. It had a, a lid. And then there was a little lip that hit mm-hmm. the other side of the box. And yeah. the, the lip had a, a, a magnets to it. And I, it's such a small thing, but like to be able to have that little click when you open the the box was was yeah. so cool. So it's it's kind of the idea that yeah, like user experience is really can be anything. It, it could be digital, it could be physical, it yeah. could be just how you see something going by. It's really really interesting. Yeah, I I also, also I really love the packaging of things. If packaging on a product is good, then I can overlook a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What kind and of I things think... would you overlook? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like if it was really good and the product didn't work, I could even overlook that. <laughs> That's a lot of compassion. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like uh, sometimes I, I would even like keep packaging longer than necessary just because I thought that the way that they put it together was really cool and it's it's weird because if you take that on like the the boxes and things like that like it's very like basic in in if you boil it down um Mm -hmm. like how how all of these different things happen it's kind of like um uh the same way that I look at information on websites and this is kind of like a very reduced way of looking at it but um if you look at like two websites that sell similar products they have pretty much like the same information basically if you break it down into categories and everything but seeing how they um they put it together and and how they present things is really interesting like the same way as 
if you have two products that are similar, they come in similar, they have similar items in the boxes, but the way that they present it, there's like so much going on there. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I feel like that's, to me, in my opinion, why Apple is so successful, because Mm. they really do think of the whole experience, like the box as you get it, the packaging, the experience in the store how they make you feel how the products are presented um they kind of have that brand identity and they make it grow across the whole experience and I think that that is a huge reason why they're so successful and I think if you get it right as a as a product or like as a brand you can have a huge impact on people that just like lasts for a really long time I Um, I think everybody remembers like opening up the apple if they ever got an apple phone just like opening yeah. it up and it having that resistance yeah and i, I know that, that resistance was designed specifically so it would increase like the intensity of you wanting it of like that waiting for it to open wow um things like I that think i think that. super cool yeah because it kind of does um it does it does impact the way that you see the product yeah, like I remember I I, I got a, a laptop one time from them. Actually, it was this laptop. And I remember <laughs> um, like uh, my, my boyfriend was like in another, he was doing something else that day. And I went to go pick it up in the middle of the day and I brought it home. And I literally, I just left it on my desk. It might be a little eccentric, but I, I left it on my desk and I didn't open it. I waited like a day <laughs> until he came home so he could experience it with me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> opening up everything because it was like such a big investment and in everything that I wanted to like yeah. fully experience opening it it's not like yeah. like a burger that was like five dollars that I open up I don't really care about it like this is a moment <laughs> yeah I totally get that I'm exactly the same I don't know if I'd have the same level of self-control but I get it <laughs> Yeah, I remember just, it's just like, I, but also it was really cool that it was just sitting on my desk in its little baggie and everything like that. I'm like, oh, this is so pretty. I, maybe it's yeah. a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I think as a designer, like you should think about things like that and it should be a thing. Does um, it? I also, oh, sorry, what were you going to say? No, 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 I'm listening. Um, I also don't know if you know that brand Aesop. They make um, uh, like lotions and they do skincare and hair care, like cosmetic brands. I think Um, there's some ads for that. Yeah. And they've somehow every kind of like architectural program you watch now has like an Aesop soap in the bathroom. They've become like synonymous with this kind of like taste level that's I think it's really interesting as a brand because their stores, they spend more money on their stores than they actually do on the like selling of the products. Um, and in Amsterdam here, they hired this really famous designer to design their store interior. So as you walk in, it's an experience. They will like escort you to the spe- like specially designed basing where they'll give you a hand towel and you'll get to try out the hand soap. And then they will give you all these samples and they'll kind of curate your experience for you. And then when you leave, they give you um, like a cloth bag with your products in that they've sprayed with a special like perfume. And to me, I keep going back there. I like the products, but I feel like the experience is is actually the reason why I'm buying their products. Does that make you think a lot as somebody who's in a similar field to what they're doing? 
Like, do you, are you like self-aware when you're in there? That must be kind of like a (laughs) weird experience. (laughs) I guess it's like you with packaging on some level, you can see the, not manipulation, but the design of the psychology that they're trying to do. Um, And maybe you're more aware of it as a designer than anyone else would be. But that's kind of nice to be able to see that this is a tactic and it is working. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) susceptible to it I uh uh, I don't know if this is comparable but my my friend um uh is is in is still in college she's uh she's a five-year I'm a four-year um and she had she's taking this wine class um uh she had like a free elective and wanted to do a fun class and Mm -hmm. uh she took me to um like one of her school trips was going to a winery to go and pick grapes and like see the whole process and everything. Um, And uh, she said, Oh yeah, like I can bring whoever I want. So like, do you want to come with me? And like, I woke up at like six in the morning to get to the vineyard by eight. And like, it was really fun. And like watching the whole process of how they pick it, all of the stuff that they do, they showed me all the different stages that they had of, of the wine and like, like all of the real grunt work that they have to do. And I'm like, yeah. I wonder what that guy's like life is like when like he goes and like tries wine with people, yeah. <laughs> like knowing everything that goes into it and and like talking with you now, I'm like, what like it must be interesting to cause because for him that's like one part of his life, like drinking wine, doing stuff is kind of like more of a social uh thing that happens in life. But um when I think about you and me, I think it's it's every interaction that you have in which you're a consumer mm. or even just a person walking down the street so it's it's yeah. almost like a majority of your life <laughs> yeah pretty much because everything is designed um and everything uses the same kind of user experience like design theory behind it so I guess yeah it's it's really interesting and I'm I'm glad to be a designer to be able to see that and uh, I guess when we look back at your timeline, um, you you moved to a different country and this is like the first time that you're living someplace else? Mm, yeah, pretty much. What I was mean, that traveled, move like? It's been pretty big, but I have traveled quite a lot in my life and I've lived like in my gap year, I lived a bit in London. So mm-hmm. I've like been and like stayed in places for quite a while, but I've never like technically lived anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um so it's been really big and the weather really sucks like the weather sucks a lot really (laughs) yeah um I've never seen snow before as well so that I saw my first snow in the last year and that was really big as well like just adapting to feeling like you're walking into a freezer when you go out I think that was the biggest for me I um uh I'm from Pennsylvania. I grew up in Pennsylvania and now I live in Philadelphia. But I used to live in this place called Orfield. Um and it's kind of like a little bit farther out. And um I remember one year we actually canceled school because it was too cold. Oh they said God, it was gonna be like... Did you have it... a snow day? Yeah, yeah, we had snow days and then we also we had a day in which they canceled school because they were worried about the health of the students because it was too <laughs> cold outside. They were like, Well, what if somebody comes home and their parents aren't home yet and they can't get into their house? I think we should just cancel school because it's like too cold, <laughs> they would die. And I'm like, What? 
I remember seeing in cartoons when I was younger that the kids would have snow days and in South Africa we were always so jealous we were like oh my god that looks like the most incredible thing ever like that for me was as a kid I was so jealous really yeah I don't think you get snow days now working remotely for you personally oh I know but also not in school anymore so I guess you wouldn't get snow days but in Cape Town we used to get heat days like there were a few days where it was too hot to go to school so they were told us to stay at home and also we had a lot of fires in Cape Town so we like our school was quite high up on the mountains so there were a few days where the fires would get too bad and we have to stay at home because of the fire that is not something (laughs) I experienced (laughs) was that scary or was that kind of like oh okay it's fire day uh it was kind of scary the like fires are very irregular occurrence there especially in that area um in summer because the winds get really really intense um but there was one year where the fire was really bad and we actually had to lock our like lock ourselves in our house for a few days because the ash coming off the mountain was so dense that you couldn't really see like you couldn't really drive around because there were like these big clouds of ash oh my Um, god and that for me was that was that was scary because it was just felt like kind of the end of the world but it was only for like three or four days so yeah so it was kind of like that is and I'm hearing a little bit about that from California right now um Mm -hmm. with with fires that they're having and I remember one day um it it actually somehow made it to like the clouds and stuff like that somehow made it all the way to the other side of the country in in Pennsylvania and it was insane like there was one day where the sun was orange in the middle of the day and you could taste the air yeah I remember that like that really deep orange kind of like ashy sun I remember seeing that in Cape Town as well it's quite it's quite cool to see but like also very weird yeah yeah that is so so growing up there having a few a few like uh, medium length experiences in other parts of the world and then mm-hmm. actually moving to Amsterdam how long have you been there only about a year now I'm curious because it's uh, I have a lot of friends that are uh, international students in in my town um, Mm -hmm. and uh, were there any like interesting culture shock moments that you had? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think something for me that was a big shock which a lot of expats will say when they come to Amsterdam is how direct the Dutch people are Oh really? Um, Yeah there's because also South Africa and my dad is also British and I feel like the culture is is in a way quite like British in terms of how you interact with people there's a lot of like niceties and there's a lot of yeah like social you you're just generally quite nice to people and like when you eat out at a restaurant your waitress will like go out of their way to make you feel like really comfortable and like there's that kind of feeling of like, yeah, of like everyone just being like super nice to you and that being the norm. And mm. coming here, I wasn't, I really wasn't prepared for it because you would like walk into a restaurant and 
specifically I remember like the service industry here like they'll just tell you directly like oh there is no table you have to leave or like they'll say like <laughs> like you can't sit down now and then they'll just like walk away and like for them that's not like rude they're just telling you what's happening but for yeah. me I was seeing everything that was being said to me as very rude and I was like oh my god I can't like this is such a big shock for me <laughs> was uh uh your time at home like uh, not many people are like confrontational or anything uh, like if if there was a negative thing they would kind of like be as nice as possible and like uh indirect about it and like spend more time talking about it where mm-hmm. here it's more like um uh okay I'm just going to tell you what happened mm-hmm. yeah pretty much and I think also in the work culture here I've heard from a few expats that they're like it's very refreshing but it's quite a shock at first But when you get used to it, it's really nice because then you realize that people aren't ever going to like almost lie to you by being nice. Like what what they Mm -hmm. say is what they mean and what they say is what they feel. Mm. And it's quite liberating to just start doing that yourself because you realize how much of your time you spend trying to like decode people's emotions or like package the way that you feel into this like nice, like nice exterior, especially in terms of work and like how much time that actually takes up. Instead yeah. of just saying like the meeting can only go on for this time today and like I'll see you tomorrow and like I can't do that project and just saying like exactly what you mean. Um and I think that's actually quite nice. Like once I got used to it, I, I think it's quite liberating. Is there a so you, what I'm hearing is like they have um pretty uh healthy habits <laughs> of showing personal boundaries of mm. I don't have time for that. And and they don't, yeah. like, commit to stuff if they know they're not going to be able to accomplish it. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, that has been something else I've heard from a few South African friends that people tend to do here. Um, a lot of people will only work, like, a four-day work week because they'll take care of their kids on a Wednesday and every, every all the kids get school off on a Wednesday. Oh. Um, and then, at, like, a lot of Dutch companies, it's not the same for international companies will then kind of switch off at five o'clock and that is like you're done for the day and I heard from a friend the other day he's working at a company now where they had like something happen at the company that really needed to be seen to and his boss was like well I'll see you too tomorrow because it's after five now and I don't work after five and she was just kind of like that's it and he <laughs> for him he's like also just moved here and he he was like I don't understand this like this is so new to me but I also thought that's kind of healthy and like I think it's a way better way to live what living here like sometimes I I feel a little um like I know American culture is different than South African culture it -hmm. sounds like it's a little bit more similar than uh than Amsterdam but um uh like I remember spending a lot of time like I don't know if you overhear people talking negatively about somebody or saying how they actually feel when that person isn't around and yeah. it makes you feel kind of nervous of like oh like are are people like different when I'm not around like yeah. this person doesn't like this person but she acts <laughs> like she does um yeah. does she feel that way about me since I'm just overhearing this conversation do you experience yeah. that less there um, I have such small experience being here, but in my like small experience, I, yeah, definitely. Um, and I've been taken aback so often by people's like the way that they will say things to me. 
um, especially mm-hmm. in like job interviews I've been through and just social interactions in general. And yeah, you initially are like really, really like offended, but then you do realize <laughs> that they're telling you what they're thinking and that you don't have to then like think, are they thinking this behind my back? Are they saying this, these things? Um, and it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I, I don't know. That does sound really refreshing, but I'm probably similar to you where I'd be like, where are all of the, <laughs> the extra things that I'm so used to? <laughs> why, yeah, why do I have to think all the time? Like, <laughs> Exactly. And you don't have to like spend all this like mental energy thinking about what other people are thinking about you as well. Yeah. And in Dutch, there aren't that many filler words. Um, their language is also structured quite inter- interestingly to be like exactly the right, like the exact amount of words that you would need to efficiently convey what you're saying. They aren't like English, they aren't filler words. Like yeah. You will say like it's very short sentences. Um, and it's quite similar to a language we have in South Africa called Afrikaans. Mm-hmm. and the difference is that Dutch is a lot like the sentences are a lot shorter there's like no double negative and I feel like in general it's very like efficient and very direct so I think that translates to the culture as well that this culture being there and and you moving there as a designer um have you uh learned a lot about design being different there like is have you been exposed to a different kind of design there yeah yeah definitely um it's quite nice being here because I think you get to see firsthand all these big European companies that are hiring I guess and see that also as a possibility for yourself which I've never seen before but then at the same time you're also in this level where you're not just looking at design in like this in in terms of your your own country but it's more like the whole scale of Europe um which is really nice because things are a lot more creative and I think there's more of a market for I'm particularly interested in like experiential design and like brand experiences so there's a lot more of that here and you'll get all these weird events going on where yeah it's just feels like there's a lot more to experience um because there's a bigger market for it here Mm. and there's maybe more funding for people to be really creative and like have the resources to push the boundaries like quite far and I'm seeing companies that I follow on LinkedIn doing like the most bizarre things like (laughs) studying yeah like studying packaging that then is grown for mycelium and um oh wow yeah like in terms of sustainable materials but then also just these kinds of niche design interests that I don't think they would be as much funding or as much um available resources in South Africa to do mm-hmm. and I think that's really cool like that you're able to do that here and yeah. uh your your time there you moved from uh the the costume position and then when you moved to Amsterdam if I'm getting that right you started your own business and you're freelancing with a bunch of different projects right yeah um I think it was just like jumping in the deep end completely because I've been wanting to for a while transition to UX design completely Mm -hmm. I've 
designed quite a few websites for people. And when I was working at my previous company, I would do a lot of the digital design for them. And whenever they needed a website, I would do it. So I was already really interested in it. Um, mm. But then I was like, okay, it's locked down. I'm in a new country. Like, let me just do it. Um, at that time, no one was hiring as well. Mm. So I couldn't really get a job. It was like quite like deep lockdown. So I started studying UX and learning Figma. And okay. I, I'm in the middle of the Google UX course as well. Um, oh, wow. Cool. It's really nice. I really, I'm really enjoying it. And then I started picking up like small projects and doing like personal projects and the more and like chatting to people as well and trying to form my network here. And I ended up getting a mentor who was the design lead at a big company here. And he started introducing me to more people in the field. And it's just, it took a long time to get going, but I think like I'm getting a little bit more projects now and I'm starting to meet more people. um, And it's feeling like, yeah, I'm getting a lot better at my UX practice, which was quite heavily influenced by my industrial design practice because they're quite similar. So I was, I was lucky with that. That's really, so what, what is your, your day to day like? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so I'm freelancing at the moment. Um, and my last month was actually different, looked a bit different to what it usually is because we, um, me and my partner Airbnb out our apartment for a month and went to go work from Tuscany oh wow um, yeah we actually took our cats with on the airplane as well and just like packed up and went and we rented a villa there and then I just kind of worked from there for a bit so I've been working on client work about three days a week on my computer mm-hmm. um, completely remotely and then I've been doing my studies and my personal projects for the rest of the week yeah wow do you do you like that 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 lifestyle um yeah I think I think I have really enjoyed it um I really miss chatting to people and maybe that's why I have actually so much to say today because I really miss chatting to people about design and I miss having colleagues um and I miss like collaborating with people so I'm trying to find a permanent position at the moment at a company yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, it's so interesting now because like there are so many more doors that I feel have been opened with people actually yeah. seeing that working remotely works. Like I, right yeah. now I'm, I'm working at a, a company in New York and, uh, I live in Philadelphia and, um, a lot of my coworkers live in New Jersey, Connecticut, and Chicago. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> And it's so cool. I mean, sometimes it sucks for them uh, when they have early morning meetings, but you knew what you were getting yourself into. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so, so that's really interesting when, when I think about things in the future um, and I'm usually always wrong, like every single time (laughs) I predict anything, I'm usually always wrong. And the more interesting thing is I look back and I think if I got everything I wanted at that time, I would not be as happy as I am now. Yeah. Um, because if, if I think back, like like the, the person that I wanted to be or like this ideal life of uh, if I got X, Y, Z, like everything would be great. I'd be so happy. Everything would be perfect. Now that I'm thinking yeah. like, oh, I didn't want that life. 
but yeah exactly things always work out the way that you actually didn't realize was better for you and it's, yeah. it's quite a nice feeling just having faith in the fact that maybe life has your back and that you mm-hmm. can kind of do your best every day to like do the things that will bring you in that direction but then the rest you just got to leave and be like it's it'll take me where it needs to grow right <laughs> and and also a, a weird thing about that is like the people in your life also make such a big difference too and you never know who you're gonna meet or the kind of relationships that you're gonna have and I feel yeah. like those make a big impact uh on this whole like timeline <laughs> yeah no that's so true um and yeah like meeting people for your career is actually I'm realizing the most important part yeah um, And I'm such a shy person that it was a really big adjustment for me to try and like, yeah, like you said, like replace uh, Instagram with LinkedIn and try and like (laughs) meet people and just chat about design and put yourself out there a little bit and like not be so self-conscious because at the end of the day, it's like doesn't really matter. And like, yeah, meeting people is so important if you actually want to do cool design work and most of my jobs have always come through like a network of people anyway so yeah uh, since we're we're talking about like predictions and future and things like that um I'm not going to ask you like a super long timeline but like do you have any thoughts on things that you might want to do in like the next three years or or things that you're interested in um yeah so at the moment I I'm doing UX and I'm doing a lot of digital UX and I'm designing like um, an app and an admin portal at the moment for a company. And although I do enjoy it a lot, um, I'm really interested, like we said before, about like the Grady experience. And I do have this design industrial design background that for me, I really, really want to be designing um, experiences for people. So like um, whether that incorporates digital and real life, or um yeah like more I guess it would also fall into the realm of brand experiences where you get to design these big things for people that can like really kind of push them out of their everyday life and like get them to think differently and I really enjoy that and I think with new technology like AR and VR you can do some really cool games Mm -hmm. and also just like push people to play more and I really like bringing the two together, my UX and my industrial design. So I really hope I can do that in the future. Um, And that's something I'd really, really like want to get more into and not just design on my computer every day. That sounds really like I'm trying to think of a world to do that. I'm thinking that sounds a lot like being like an experienced director working with a whole bunch of different people that have all these different talents that can Mm bring it into the brand and make the brand present in all these different uh avenues yeah and I think experience is also being used more as marketing like Mm -hmm. I recently went to the Gucci museum the Gucci garden in Florence wow um, they as a brand have created this whole building of just experiences so every room is a different experience that is like completely curated to like take you out of your life into this like Gucci world um and I'm really interested in things like that where you can yeah you can have the resources to design this like crazy thing because even though it's for Gucci I I am such a big Gucci fan but even if I wasn't going there would make me one um and 
just like apart from that it's something that I really remembered about my trip and I think it can have such an impact on you like especially because we're in like on our computers the whole day just being able to like get out and yeah like have an experience designed for you makes me quite excited yeah that's so cool like where you and instead of going into the future like going back to the present um where you are now um uh and we go back to the timeline of where you were in in college I'm sure you were very different people I don't think maybe a lot changed but like like very like life experiences and everything like that um I'm not asking if you have any regrets but I'm asking um uh if you could possibly give yourself advice at that point in time is there anything you would have said to yourself because I feel like there might be other people that um are in similar situations that might be listening that could really use that advice if you, if you have some wow oh, that's a huge that's a huge question um, <laughs> I really I'm a really big fan of this um fashion couple called young emperors I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever seen their Instagram no I haven't um, but they're a couple who dress the same but they do these really cool photo shoots and they recently got asked a similar question and the answer they gave was just never to compromise on your own creative values and mm. they said that they've got where they've gotten just because they even though they've done all these other jobs they've just been completely unapologetic about their creative values what they want to do to like create in the world and they've tried to stick to that as closely as possible for a long time and I was really like taken with that because I think that's something that as a designer you can so often give up especially if you're working at a company and you can lose track of that and like you can lose your idealism that you had in college and the things that you wanted to do and I think keeping that going even in like a small way with a side project or thinking about it in your free time just like keeping it alive somehow is maybe what I would tell myself to keep doing or Mm -hmm. what I try to I've been trying to do now um I think it's so important because yeah it's something that'll really keep your creativity going and you should stay connected to that yeah I think that's really good advice and and the specific thing that you said that like whichever outlet that you can do it because I I remember listening to somebody like somebody asked me a question recently of like how do you deal with feedback from a client about a project and I gave him the advice that um yes you should advocate and and explain and and do a lot of research so that you can back up what you're saying and what you're presenting but at the end of the day if it's their project, then it is their project. And it's not all about you. And so there's, there's that one. And then there's the other thing of make sure that you keep this thing alive um, in any aspect that you do, whether it's a side project, whether it's something else that you're doing so that you have that going, even if you're working on other people's projects where it's really like their baby. So that's really good, like dual feedback for somebody to advice for people to get. Yeah, I think it's so important to have that separate to your work, actually, because when you do have your own like ego and your own values actually riding on all your projects at your work, when something goes wrong or if someone changes something, then it can affect you so deeply emotionally Mm -hmm. um, and that it is actually maybe better to have it a bit separate to be like, this is my work. 
and this is my passion and having that passion will then also maybe let you put less emotional like emotions riding on your work stuff yeah Um, and that's also quite a nice habit to build that's a really this is this is wonderful advice (laughs) even for me (laughs) but I just wanted to thank you so much for spending so much time with me and and talking with me. It was it was really really fun. Even though this is the first time we've ever uh, talked, it was really nice to get to know you. Yeah, it was it was actually really cool. I was kind of nervous before this, um, also to meet someone over Zoom. But <laughs> it's been really nice talking to you, and I think this way of getting people on a podcast and then just asking them about themselves is quite like cathartic for me. Um, oh, really? I think everyone likes talking about themselves and it's quite sweet to do this for people. So the story a little bit behind why I do this is because um, uh, leaving school, um, uh, I finally had a moment where I wasn't like doing everything for my professors. I wasn't doing everything for a rubric, for points, for approval or anything like that. And um, while I was doing that, I was like, not really interested in learning outside of school I mm-hmm. wasn't interested in reading books watching videos going to lectures I was like I'm so sick of this I it's the last thing I want to do and when yeah. I graduated I finally had a moment of like wow I can like do things that I want to do I, I can learn things that I want to mm-hmm. learn and listen to people and it started out with me literally <laughs> reaching out to people on LinkedIn like without a podcast just calling them up like hey do you want to be friends <laughs> and like do you want to talk and it was so crazy because like it'd be like the first time I ever talked to somebody and I'm like asking them all about their life and all of a sudden like two hours had gone past and like yeah. I wasn't recording or anything I was just getting to know this person and I, I realized that that's something that I could if, if people like you were giving me advice telling me about your life showing me like this timeline that you went through um mm-hmm the the very least I could do is just like I don't know like record it and and put it somewhere (laughs) and and the thing that I notice is like um it's really crazy how how you can go go through life and uh not a lot of people ask these questions um I think that's kind of strange or like you don't have these conversations that often and um just like all of these like little um, uh, making conversation niceties and stuff like that it's mm. really nice to actually like sit down with somebody and actually like get to know them because yeah. I noticed that that doesn't happen that often yeah I think what you're doing is also really cool I guess you're creating like your own experience for the person you're interviewing um, and you're designing it as well and it's really cool from my side because yeah the fact that you looked at my portfolio and you read up on all these things about me like it makes the person feel really good like you're creating your own little experiences that I think will then make people feel really good about themselves and also like help clarify for them maybe what they're doing in the world and that in itself is also really cool oh well thank you and I'm I'm glad that that you gave me two hours of your time Yeah, I honestly (laughs) thought I was only going to be able to talk for an hour and then I was going to tell you that I couldn't, but I didn't even notice the two hours. (laughs) Well, uh, the the last thing that I do before we wrap up the podcast is um, I I reintroduce myself, say what I do and how people can find me, and then uh, I'll end with you and you can do the same. Okay, cool.
Great. Okay. So, hi. <laughs> My name is Emily Giordano. I am a web designer, Webflow developer, and UX person. I uh, I make websites uh, with Webflow and it's like the coolest thing ever. There's so much that you can do. Uh, we talked about websites in, in here, so I don't have to re-explain it but it's it's uh it's something that I love to do um and I have my own company where I do that I'm also a UX designer um and I right now I'm working at MetLife um who knows where I'll be after that so we'll just have to see uh if you want to reach out to me for a project you can find me at uh emily e-m-i-l-y at greatdesignlead.com um my website's greatdesignlead.com so is my instagram um, this podcast is great to send the podcast. And I also have a little YouTube channel that I do for fun. <laughs> and I record myself reacting to people's websites that I've gone on the first time. And it teaches me a lot about uh, web design. It teaches me a lot about information architecture. And often, not often, sometimes I uh, get to meet the people that made the website, which is really cool and learn about that. Or I meet people that interact with the video, which is the origin of this podcast episode. <laughs> so uh, that's that's enough about me. You know where to find me. The, the, the YouTube channel is just Great Design Lead channel. You'll find it there. And uh, that's enough about me. And we'll end with M. Okay, um, so I'm Em Gilton. I am a user experience designer in Amsterdam, currently working on digital UX and UI. Um, you can find me at emmagilpin.com, which is Emma, G-I-L-P-I-N. And my LinkedIn and my Instagram are all on my website. Um, yeah, that's me. <laughs> perfect and all of that will be in the podcast description so you don't have to worry about spelling or anything and you can just click on the link and then you'll be ready to go so thank you so much and uh this was really fun yeah this was super fun um i had a really nice sunday doing this <laughs> perfect so i guess this is just goodbye until next time yeah goodbye until next time